on a track in life that you would ever predict this happening, and through beautiful relationships that God brought about, um, they've been able to do really powerful things and, and have a lot of stories to, to share that are, are real and happening and continuing, and um, we're so thankful for that. So I'm going to pray over them and uh, let them get after it. Um, Father God, thank you for Brent and Roxy for the incredible ways that you've worked through um, your spirit, through relationships, and to build them into the mighty warriors that they are right now. Um, thank you for the beautiful impact you're having through them um, and the impact that the people they're reaching are having on others, and, and your story just continues as it always does. Um, we love you. I pray that you speak through them in a powerful way as we know that you will, um, that your scriptures and your, your message and your spirit would reach out um, and shake us up like Robert talked about and, and help us to see the necessity um, for a relationship, whether we're comfortable with it or not, whether it comes naturally to us or not. Father, we're all called to be yours and to act as your hands and feet in this world. And um, Lord, I just pray that you would help us to see how we can do that better through this message. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thanks, Adam. Thank you, brother. Okay, so beautiful relationships is what Roxanne and I will be talking about. And this is really all about discipleship. And so the main idea, if you take anything away from this class, what we would hope that would be is that a recognition that discipleship is more than a task, a small group, or meeting. Discipleship takes place by doing life together in an intimate relationship. And so when we talk about beautiful relationships, that is definitely not the norm in our culture today. That's not the norm in the world, uh, deep, authentic, intimate, beautiful relationships. And so as we prepped for this lesson, uh, we came across a, a survey that was conducted at Yale University and asking, polling students. So they identified uh, themselves in this, uh, in this survey. And 42% of college students uh, identified as often being too depressed to function. Think about that number. That's nearly half of those that we interact with on our campuses. RSU is where we're campus ministers at. And being up there every day, this means that nearly half of the students that we interact with are drowning in depression. 10% of college students polled said that they are seriously contemplating suicide. 10%. That's one in 10. So when I'm in the dining hall at RSU sitting at a table of 10 students, one of them is seriously thinking about ending their life. And one of those guys um, was Rennie. And you're going to get to meet him and hear a bit of his story. God certainly had different plans uh, for Rennie than that. Uh, but it's just, this ought to serve as a reminder of, of what's at stake. People are hurting, broken, and harassed. And things are supposed to be so different in the kingdom of God. In fact, truly in the kingdom of God, they are so different. But sadly, in most churches, beautiful relationships are not taking place there. So we're going to talk about God's design and the model that we see in the first century church. So God's design is for humans to live in intimate relationships. And it's always been this way. In Genesis 2, God says it's not good for man to be alone. And everything up to this point in creation, God has said it's good it's good, it's good. He makes Adam, he says, it's very good. And recognize that at this point, Adam is walking with God in the cool of the day in the garden. And God says, hold on, something's not good here. It's not good 
for Adam to be alone. He needs another person, right? And so Eve comes about. But this has always been God's design because our God is a relational God, a God who's always existed in perfect, beautiful love relationship between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. So there's a C.S. Lewis quote that describes the, the love that takes place uh, between the Trinity, uh, that is just absolutely love, and so I'll share that with you. What the Christians mean by the statement, God is love, is that the living, dynamic activity of love has been going on in God forever and has created everything else. In Christianity, God is not a static thing, but a dynamic, pulsating activity, a life, almost a kind of drama, almost if you will not think me irreverent, a kind of dance. Guys, we were made from that dance, and we were made for that dance. This quote makes me think of one of my favorite songs by Need to Breathe. It's called I Am Yours. And I'll do you a favor and not sing it, because I'm kind of like TC. Uh, maybe we sing something together later on. But I fear if I were to sing that I'd never get the mic back. Right? But I will share those lyrics with you. And those, those lyrics, it's about an intimate relationship with Jesus. And the, the lyrics go like this. I am yours and you are mine. I'm a man whose one ambition is to dance with my divine. If I had to tell the story of the greatest love in time, I would have to sing of you how I'm this branch in your divine. This romance that we have, it's easy by design. I was fortunate to find you. I'm blown away. You're mine. That's the relationship with Christ that he longs to have and that he's made available to us in the kingdom. So we're made for beautiful relationships with God and people, but the problem is that sin separates us from God and people. Sin kills, steals, and destroys our relationships. Right after the fall, God comes and he, and he talks to, he tries to address Adam. But the first thing he has to do is call him out of hiding. Adam, where are you? So understand this truth. People are hiding due to sin-induced shame and guilt. You don't need a psych degree to understand fallen humanity. Understand that truth, and you'll understand fallen humanity. We're in hiding. The people that we engage with that have not been brought into the kingdom, they're in hiding, disconnected, isolated, and lonely. So on May 3rd, yeah, you'll help me out. I'm a little lost in the notes. But uh, on May 3rd of, of just this year, uh, America's Surgeon General uh, released a warning advisory, a health advisory on loneliness and referred to loneliness and isolation as an epidemic that's sweeping across America. And he posits some things that we could do as a nation and as a country to impact that number, but the reality is if culture is going to be changed, it's going to be the church that changes culture. It's going to be Christ and his people that changes culture. Um, so this is something that, that is all around us, these uh, lack of beautiful relationships. And if my beautiful bride will help me find. Oh, yeah. Oh, help me find okay. the, yeah, we'll, we'll figure out the mic, but what the next points are. There you go. Thank you, dear. You're Thank welcome. you, dear. Okay, so the problem and then the solution. Uh, Jesus came to earth and he modeled what it looked like to be truly human and truly God. Jesus paid for our sins so we could be restored to an intimate 
relationship with God and one another, Jesus imparted his life into 12 ordinary men. Like T.C. and Maria just unpacked. These, these were just ordinary people. Some might even describe them as less than ordinary, as T.C. laid out. Guys like the, Matthew, the tax collector, would have been seen as the scum of the earth. But he imparted his life into these 12 ordinary men over three years by not just teaching them, but by living with them and sharing life with the apostles. And so that's Christ's model for discipleship. All right, so now we get into the heart of the lesson, and that is to answer the question, what does it look and feel like to do life together in the kingdom of God? And we see a beautiful picture of this in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. And these are brand new baby believers, but that end up, uh, as T.C. and Maria shared that verse in Acts 17, verse 6, that they're accused of turning the world upside down. And this is what led that small group, spearheaded by 12 ordinary men, 120 of them, to, in the course of a decade, turn the world upside down. So in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. So we see six devotions that they were committed to. Um, Six things the early church was devoted to. And six things that you and I must devote ourselves to if we're going to have the discipling impact that the early church had. And the first thing we see that they were devoted to is they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. And the apostles' teaching equals God's word. And so what does this look like uh, at Connect? Uh, one of the avenues for this, because this is a real struggle in the campus ministry, is consistency um, being in the word. And so one of the ways we have tried to attack this is through um, something we're calling Connect Daily Bread, coming from the idea that Jesus says, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so what I've been doing is, is going through a chapter of the New Testament, read through it, and then teach on it. So we're in the To Be Continued series, so we're in Acts right now, uh, reading through that, uh, and I'll share some, some thoughts and some practical applications and as a campus uh, ministry that's posted in our band, and uh, some people check it out. Sometimes even my wife does. Lately, she's Sometimes. been... Yeah. Lately, she's been cheating on me with Tim Keller and doing some wisdom devotional. Yeah. And then secondly, the second devotion that we see from them is that uh, they were devoted to fellowship. And fellowship equals doing life together. So... Here's kind of what that looks like uh, and then feels like that we're trying to live out uh, in our household and at Connect. And so it looks like people constantly being at the house, uh, even when we're not. Our people have our house code, right? We got one of those keypads and they have that. Um, It looks like for the guys, us rolling jujitsu together. It looks like lifting together. It looks like watching UFC pay-per-views together, guys and gals. 
Uh, it looks like uh, going out on, on dates together, double and triple and quadruple dates. It looks like watching rom-coms together when Roxanne gets to choose what's on the television. Uh, most recently, it was how to lose a guy in 10 days. Yeah, yeah, right? So Ryan had never seen this. I don't know if Ryan's in here or not. There he is. But he had never seen this. So Roxanne said, we, we've got to watch it. We've got to watch it. It's like, okay, okay. We, here we go. Okay, you're coming over to watch it. Uh, it looks like right now we don't have a roommate. We, we've often had a roommate. Right now we don't have a roommate, so we've got an open guest bedroom. It, <laughs> right. Ashley claims it as hers. Right. Uh, but there's like a series of slumber parties of people just, just coming and, and crashing over. Chase and Miguel and some others would disagree as to if it's Ashley's bedroom. But she did call it first on the day of our wedding. She did. So it looks like uh, people coming over and playing with our crazy pup, Nitro. Uh, it looks like people coming over and being harassed by our crazy pup, Rennie. Nitro. Yeah, Rennie's terrified of our little 50-pound dog. We're working through it. We're working through it. And I think just if I can interject, what Brent's getting at is the heart of fellowship in the community of believers is living life together. Fellowship... Um, I'm told by my friends who were raised in the church, has kind of developed this weird connotation of like casseroles on a Sunday afternoon. Um, and that's the extent of what, what it means. There's not a lot of depth to it, but those verses that Brent read in Acts um, debunks that idea that it's a lack of depth in relationship. It is truly living life together. And so Brent mentioned our dog, who's our baby, sometimes my baby, depending on the day um, that Brent's having. But something else that we see is the way that um, the kids at Connect are cared for by everyone. And it is this incredibly beautiful picture of what it means to live life together. Um, and there are always people babysitting and spending time with kids and asking to spend time with the kids of other people at the church, and I've heard some people talk about just, so like Adam said, we live in Claremore, and there are a bunch of churches in our area, kind of like big, not mega churches, but just like, I don't know the right word, I guess like traditional churches, Bible I don't know, belt, yeah, yeah we, we're in the Bible Belt, and um, there's a church on every corner, and I've heard so many people talk about not going and doing things because they don't have someone to watch their kids. They're going to these other churches. And that concept just blows my mind. I've never seen that when we literally have people like fighting over who is going to get to babysit Jack, Jack, and Coco. Ashley, I'm looking at you. Um, <laughs> and so, and I also, I remember, um, so I'm an only child. This is a little bit of a tangent, but we'll get back to the, to the points from Scripture. Um, and I remember this point in my childhood where I, like, had this revelation. I was probably, like, between 8 and 10, where I was like, oh, my gosh, my children aren't ever going to have aunts and uncles because I'm an only child. And my mom, I, like, went to my mom super concerned with this, you know, I'm 8 or 10. Like, there are no siblings on the way. Um, and she was like, well, if you marry someone with, you know, brothers or sisters, then that won't be an issue. Because being an only child, my aunts and uncles, like, were my people. You know, I didn't have siblings to, to fill that gap. And so 
it's just such a beautiful picture of relationship in the body of Christ, of the needs that we have that aren't met with our biological family are met through the body whenever we are living in a way that is faithful to Scripture. Yep, for sure. For sure. It's this fulfillment of Jesus' promise. After the rich young ruler rejects uh, the kingdom, rejects Jesus, uh, Peter, who uh, is often a loud mouth, pipes up and like, what about us, man? We left everything for you. And Jesus says, no one who's left wife, child, family, no one who's given up and truly forsaken everything for the sake of the kingdom will fail to be rewarded a hundred times over in this life and the age to come. I mean, it's just the fulfillment of that. Like you see in the body, um, just beautiful, amazing familial connection, how God always intended it to be, which is often not the case of what we get in the biological setting. Uh, but in Christ, we find something so much better. Uh, and so third devotion that we see is they were devoted to breaking bread. And breaking bread equals eating together. <laughs> That's all it is. It's like we all got to eat several times a day for most of us, varying portions but uh, it, it's just doing that together. It's breaking bread together. So something that this looks like on, on our end is every Tuesday, Lynn, Adam, and I are at the Coney Islander uh, church meeting, but devouring some Coney's while we, while we do that. Uh, you know, it, it looks like um, Sunday campus lunch after church, we go out uh, and eat together. It looks like after cross chats often, a late night Whataburger run together. Very, very rarely, it looks like Roxanne and I making something. My wife's smoking hot, but she does not cook at all. <laughs> Often it will look like uh, Natalie, uh, Natalie Cruz, now Natalie Hopkins. Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, prepping up food. He's right over there. Okay. And then, okay, so, so the fourth devotion uh, is they were devoted to prayer. They were devoted to prayer. And prayer is calling out to our Father together. And I understand the, the individual component of prayer and praying without ceasing and always giving thanks to God. And like we see Daniel and David and these, these great men in Scripture praying on their own, having a prayer rhythm of a few times a day, even kneeling, getting on their knees. Uh, but when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, notice the language that he uses. Our Father in heaven. He doesn't say my Father. It's, it's our Father in heaven. Give, not me, but give us this daily bread. Forgive, not me, but forgive us. So it's all about the communal crying out together in prayer. And so, man, the best picture of this that, that we come up with, which is really something the campus we struggle with, um, consistently, uh, but the times that this is, this is most well executed of devotion to prayer is during our prayer revolutions, and those are, uh, for those unfamiliar, that's just a 40-day fast in the campus ministry with the devotion to prayer, um, praying together, praying on our campuses for God to break through, and man, those times are the best time in, in ministry. There's a joy and a unity and a purpose, and we start seeing prayers answered and kingdom breakthrough. It really is um, the coolest time in our, in our ministry and in our marriage. Like so often when we're in the middle of it, I wish I could say that we kept that 
energy and devotion, uh, but sometimes we get slack in it. But every prayer revolution, it's like, man, this is so good. Things are so good between us. There's so much fulfillment in God, and it's like we don't ever want to go back. And the reality is that we don't have to go back. Um, so it doesn't have to be just in that setting. In fact, it should be uh, more, more consistent than that. Uh, so the fifth devotion that we see, the fifth devotion that we see is sharing possessions and meeting needs. Fifth devotion we see, sharing possessions and meeting needs. Uh, and this equals recognizing possessions belong to God to bless the body. So it's the realization that everything that we think we own as disciples is actually on loan, that it's actually God's, and he's going to call us to account for it. But we see the early church, man, they, they met each other's needs. There, there was an uh, incredible generosity that flowed from a recognition that these, all that they had and all that they were belonged to God, which is what we said when we went into the waters of baptisms, that, that we, are, we are his. And so what this looks like, what this recently looked like, um, so we were down to one vehicle. We have a, a, a rough run with vehicles. We, part of driving back and forth, Tulsa so much and getting around for, for ministry stuff, we, we just drive the wheels off our vehicle. So we were once more down to one vehicle. And just this last week, Josh Wilson and his dad gifted us a vehicle. Uh, it's incredible, the, the, the generosity that's there, that Josh, being my bro and best friend, hollered at his dad, and his dad was like, oh yeah, this is going to kingdom purpose, some people that are in the ministry, man, I don't want them to pay for it, I'm, I'm going to gift it. And so, and how that feels is just amazing, to know that your family's got your back is so life-giving. So the sixth devotion that we see is that they were selling property. And selling property equals sacrificial, sacrificial generosity to meet the needs in the body. And so a picture of this for us uh, was during the Living Generously campaign most recently, um, taking a step of faith and emptying our bank accounts. And it was really what that feels like. Okay, scary initially to take that step, though it shouldn't be because as you seek first the kingdom of, of God, all these things are given to you. And we've had this track record of, you know, eight years and 10 years of God meeting all of our needs. Uh, so it shouldn't be scary. But once you take that jump, man, what it feels like is truly coming alive. That, man, there, there's something to it that, the greater the giving, the better the living. And God is not necessarily concerned with raising your standard of living, but he's deeply invested in raising your standard of giving. And so if you want to truly come alive, stop chasing financial getting goals and start chasing financial giving goals. That's the beauty of the relationships in the body that we see from the early church. Um, and that will have the same kind of impact uh, if we embrace these things. And so now, uh, Roxanne's going to get to share. So Brent reviewed those six principles that we see from the verses in Acts of just 
what does it look and feel like to do life together in the kingdom? And I'm going to continue to expound upon that with some examples that we have been blessed to experience during our time in ministry. Um, And so some characteristics of what it looks like to do life together in the kingdom. Um, It's funny that we're here talking about beautiful relationships because something that I really want you all to take away from our time together today, maybe the main thing is that beautiful relationships are sometimes ugly. Um, In fact, a lot of times they are ugly and the standard that we are called to as believers the accountability that we are called to hold people to. So TC and Maria gave their personal examples, just a couple of conversations I'm sure that they have been a part of, of what that has looked like for them, of people coming to them and calling them to a standard um, and calling them higher as people who said in the waters of baptism, it is all about God and it is not at all about me. And so um, I like to call those moments whenever someone... Um, is addressing something in your life or coming to you and saying, you are in the danger zone and you need to address this because this is not aligning with what God has for your life. This is not glorifying him. This is not the standard that you agreed to. I like to call those first Corinthian moments. Um, So in second Corinthians, Paul outlines his joy over the church's repentance after he confronts these behaviors that are not glorifying to God. So in 2 Corinthians, it says, Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. So that's in 2 Corinthians. I'm so sorry. We do not have slides to give you these verses. But 2 Corinthians, Paul talking to the church. And so I just want you all to think about Um, maybe ask yourselves, have you ever been hurt only for a little while by someone who has come to you, a brother or sister, and said, you have to address this because you are in danger of going down a path, like Rita talked about last night, just begging, please do not go in this direction. It is going to harm you. It is going to harm those that you are reaching out to. It's going to harm your influence on the hurting world. Um, because that being hurt for only a little while is so worth it whenever it leads to transformation and repentance. And that is the choice that we get to make whenever someone comes to us, whenever we have our first Corinthians moment. And if you haven't had that moment and you're like, what is she talking about? I promise it's coming. It is coming. (laughs) Um, so just, um, Have an open heart and have an open mind whenever someone comes to you um, in obedience to God and says, we need to flesh this out. It's going to be ugly. Let's do this. Um, And so I have a very memorable 1 Corinthians moment. Um, And if anyone, those that have spent time around me or with me or heard me talk about this, um, I always talk about the conversation at Mimi's. I haven't seen Kayla. Is she here? I'm looking for her. I think she's in the other track. Well, Kayla Chambers, and she's married to Chris Chambers, um, she had a pivotal conversation one day with me years ago when we were at Mimi's Cafe. Um, And Mimi's Cafe, I don't know if it's like, I, I think it's a chain, but it doesn't exist anymore in Tulsa. But it's this like old lady cafe, like, doilies on the table and like 
plaid stuff everywhere and pies and teacups, blah, blah, blah. So we're at Mimi's one day years ago because we had just gone wedding dress shopping for a friend of ours who is getting married. And so we're at Mimi's and it's like, we're so not there for me to be confronted about my sin, but that's what it turned into um, because Kayla was not going to let that opportunity pass. And she, I was just, I was a believer, but I was really struggling with some of the standards that God has regarding relationship. Um, I was struggling with the standard God lays out for um, homosexual relationships, and I just was really, I mean, I've said it, struggling. And so she confronted that in my life, and she just completely outlined for me um, Not that I hadn't been exposed to the love that Jesus has and had for me, but she framed it in this way of just the sacrificial love that he has. And it was transformational for me. And I'm not convinced that if she hadn't had that conversation with me that day, I would be here today. Um, God is all-powerful, and he can work in whatever way he sees fit. But that conversation was pivotal for me. And it was so ugly. I mean, we were sitting at this table. It's like all of these women, because we had just been wedding dress shopping. And she's just like yelling at me across this table. And I don't know if some of you have had these moments where it's just like the setting that you're in does not match the conversation that you're having. And it's super uncomfortable and ugly, but it had to happen. And she didn't let it pass by. And that is the standard that we're called to. It is sometimes ugly. I would probably say more often than not, it's ugly. Um, But that is what we get to participate in as believers. And so it's, you know, why did she do that that day? Um, Ephesians 3.18 says, And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. That's at the core of it, is that she needed me so desperately to understand the relationship that Jesus was calling me into so that I could participate in that relationship, but also call others into that relationship. As Brent started us out with today, it all goes back to discipleship. It's why we get to have these moments. It's why we get to have these relationships, so that we can call others to the saving relationship that Jesus provides. And so, although beautiful relationships are sometimes often ugly, they are always attractive. So, or they should be. Um, as we are believers. In John 13, 35, it says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And so, you know, we're here this weekend and we're getting to experience this amazing environment with these people that are like-minded and who have committed to this standard that is so foreign to the world and it's so much better and it's so life-giving. And I just don't want us to take it for granted. Um, I mean, like TC fleshed out, I think it was TC, but we are not getting to experience this so that we can keep it to ourselves. It is so that we can go and we can share it. And these relationships that we share with one another, the way we interact with one another can draw people toward Jesus. And so when you, when your relationships are sometimes ugly because they will be, if they haven't been already, um, because godly relationships require that honesty and authenticity and confrontation, 
when you're in the middle of those moments and you're frustrated and you're just like, this really isn't even worth it. Like, I'm just mad. I'm mad that they're mad at me and I'm mad at them and I'm being confronted about this and it sucks. I just want you to remember what the alternative is. And it's loneliness and isolation and artificial. It is the exact opposite of what God calls us to. And the statistics that Brent laid out to start, I love statistics. I love data. Um, but data means nothing unless you put flesh on it. And one in ten's a lot. And half is a lot. And anything that's affecting that much of the population would and should make national news. But we have an awareness and we get to do something about it. And it is a privilege that we get to share these relationships with one another and with people who this concept of healthy relationship and growth and beautiful interactions with other people is so foreign. And so on that note, beautiful relationships are sometimes ugly, but secondly, or I guess not but, in addition, beautiful relationships are diverse. So in Matthew 28, we're called to make disciples of all people, of all nations. And so I'm going to have Rennie and Lee come up here real quick. I just want you to get a visual for a second of um, something that that we have had the privilege of experience, Brent and I, in relationship. You can, you can come in the middle of us if you want. So um, something that you may not know by looking at Lee and Rennie is that they're twins. So if you look really closely, you can see the resemblance because they have the same dad. Um, I've been practicing that joke <laughs> in preparation for this. But they have the same Heavenly Father. They were baptized on the same evening this spring um, with the Ignite Campus Ministry group. And so they're twins. They're spiritual twins. And their physical bodies couldn't be any more different right? Um, their backgrounds, although they both bring a lot of hurt and difficult things, are also very different, but they had the exact same need for the Father. The barriers that exist in the world, Jesus totally obliterates them, and we're going to walk through the story of the Samaritan woman and what that looks like, but I just think about, you know, as I talked about alternatives like, what if Lee hadn't been invited to the back-to-school picnic? What if Rennie wasn't studied with? What if whatever barrier that was standing in the way, invisible barrier, prevented them from being reached? We wouldn't have this beautiful example of diversity. And now they get to walk it out together. And like I said, they probably could not be any more different. So when TC is talking about, like, the loud, boisterous person in Rennie, and then we have Lee, who is like this cute little person. Um, not that you're not cute, Rennie, but um, <laughs> we just have this beautiful contrast of community coming together. And I just want us to ask ourselves, are we doing everything we can to extend this invitation into beautiful relationship with, with all of the diverse people we get to interact with? So you guys can go and sit down. Thank you for being you, our bro. visual today. We love you guys. Um, Ooh, we're cutting it close. We are. We are. We're um, okay, I'm going to skip that cool. and go to this. Um, and so, yeah, I am. Okay, so we're going to shift gears a little bit um, into talking about what it looks like and feels like to offer a beautiful relationship with the lost. 
Um, so we are to, as scripture tells us, draw people into relationship by the way we love one another. And so we are going to walk through a story. Um, hold on, I'm trying to figure out what to do here. I think I'm going, I think I'm just going to do this. Okay. Okay. So, yeah, we're going to wrap up with a story of how Jesus himself initiated a beautiful love relationship with the lost, um, which highlights the impact that our relationships can and should have. And so my favorite story in God's word, other than the resurrection, is the story of Jesus interacting with the Samaritan woman in John 4. Um, and it really highlights some of the diversity that we talked about. So, and eventually Lynn and Carol are going to stop allowing me to have a microphone because I always talk about the Samaritan woman and they're going to think that this is literally the only story in the Bible that I know um, because it's my favorite. And so in John 4, we read about Jesus going through Samaria, an area that Jewish people never would have been caught in due to the religious and cultural divide, which um, we have examples of that today in our world, on our college campuses, at our workplaces. We see it in the news all the time. And so Jesus meets a Samaritan woman at a well on his journey. And it was a hot day. It was at the noon hour and Jesus was fully human. And so he is hot and he is thirsty and he asks her for a drink of water. And the woman's response to Jesus is, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? So she's immediately aware of how bizarre this is. She's so painfully aware of her distance from this other group of people, she doesn't even entertain sharing a cup of water with Jesus. She just immediately like, no, this can't be. You and I are not the same. You and I do not coexist. And so we have examples of that, right? It's not always race. It's not always ethnicity. It's not always um, socioeconomic status. Sometimes it is, but... We have got to challenge those invisible barriers that we have um, in our world and on our campuses and in our workplaces. And if you're not aware of those divides in our culture or maybe your personal divides that you've created, those barriers, you're probably just not very aware of your environment and of what's going on in our world. Um, and so what is our response to be whenever we experience that? Whenever we're maybe reaching out to someone, trying to offer this beautiful relationship with them, and they're like, no, I'm too whatever. I don't qualify. I'm too broken. I have too much baggage. I have too much trauma. I have tried that, and it hasn't worked. We are to offer something greater. That's exactly what Jesus' response was, was to offer hope to these people. In verse 13 through 14, we read, Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. It's too good to be true, she thinks. Give me the water. But what stands in the way of her accessing the living water? This beautiful relationship with Jesus, this eternal relationship with Jesus. It's her sin. 
It's the disease that we all have, the decisions that we make because we're hurting and we're confused and we're lost. We have all been there. We have all made those decisions. That one in 10 that Brent talked about, there are people sitting in this room, some of my dearest friends who are that one in 10. And I know it's the same for you all. And so Jesus goes on to confront the gaps in her life, those gaps that prevent her from experiencing the beautiful relationship, the gaps that we have all experienced. But what doesn't prevent her from accessing God is anything about her, not her status, not her background, her skin tone, her culture, the husbands she's had, the gossip that's been spread. Nothing excludes someone from experiencing beautiful relationship with their creator other than their sin, other than the things that are misaligned with the standard that God has for our lives. In verse 21, it says, Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. And so this scene in The Chosen, when Jesus is interacting with this Samaritan woman, um, is so powerful. It is so beautiful, the mercy that he has on her and the truth that he shares with her and the hope that he shares with her, the beautiful relationship that he creates out of this mess and ugliness as he extends an arm to her. And I am, there's something that's just so impactful about seeing it. And I'm a super visual learner. So anyone that is on the praise team and has helped me, yeah, has helped me had to learn you guys are saints, because I just don't get it unless I see it, um, which it's all about listening with the praise team. And so when I saw this scene, the Samaritan woman with her tear-filled eyes um, asks Jesus, it won't be all about mountains or temples. So what she's saying to him, what she's asking is it won't be about who I am or what I've done or who my family is or isn't. And Jesus replies, soon just the heart. No, he says it's going to be all about who you choose to be, who you choose to say in word and in action is the Lord of your life and the King of your heart. And you know, in these beautiful relationships that we get to share, it's so easy, and I, it's so easy for me um, to just get so caught up in how good it is and how amazing it is to live in a community that cares so much. And it's just, we constantly have to be aware of the Samaritan women that we may be passing up when we get lost in the beautiful relationships that we get to experience. And, you know, sometimes when I meet someone and I start to hear about where they've been and what's happened to them, and these destructive patterns that they're caught in because they know no other way to cope with life, I can almost see them as a child experiencing these things, just hurting and alone and suffering. And I have these really vivid images, not in a weird way, not in a like psychic, unbiblical, weird way, 
but I can just see my friend Bianca's life when she was a child and everything that she has had to experience and everything that she has had to unpack. And she shared recently um, that when she first met me, which she was like 17, that she was, she didn't want to get too close to me for fear of damaging my life with the shrapnel that was her life. She was 17. She was a baby, and she was so concerned with her mess and her ugliness that she didn't want to get too close to me. And she recently shared that with me, and it's taken years after begging for a relationship with her for her to share that with me. And I just think about if Sydney and Natalie had not gone into Samaria for her, if they had viewed her brokenness as too scary or too overwhelming or too messy, she would have been left alone in Samaria day after day, going to the well, wondering if she's even worth a cup of water to share with Jesus. And that's what we get to share. That's at the heart of the beautiful relationships. Like I said earlier, I want you to take away that they're ugly, but when you are willing to engage in the ugliness and the mess, it's so worth it. And anything else is artificial, and it's not going to last. It is not going to last. It's going to end in the hurt and the isolation that Brent laid out for us. And now I get to see her here. And in a lot of ways, and she would tell you this, she's still a mess. She's still got a lot to work through, but she's unpacked so much. And now I get to see her kid here. And he's experiencing CMU, and he's never going to have to experience what she experienced as a child. All of the hurt, all of the abuse, all of the trauma, she is working her butt off so that he never has to experience that. And there are countless stories of that in this room. Kelly Wilson's another one. She just recently had to unpack that and just work through the juxtaposition of the experiences that her kids have had back to back recently and how they get to experience beautiful relationship if that is what they choose in their life. The whole trajectory of her lineage and her generations will be different because someone took the time to extend that beautiful relationship to her. And beautiful relationships, they're to break down the barriers that the world constructs. Because Jesus didn't have to go through Samaria that day, but he chose to. Yes, Adam? Oh, we have five minutes. Okay, I'm going to let you close. (laughs) The end. (laughs) The end. The end. All right, so real quickly, um, in closing, I want us to do something. I want you to imagine heaven. To imagine being there with Jesus face to face. Being in the presence of God. Being made perfect in relationships with him and one another. No more pain, no more sorrow, joy, peace, love, infinite and eternal. Now think about the last people that you love most. What is stopping you from bringing them into beautiful, this beautiful relationship? What is it for, for you? I can tell you some things that have barred me 
At times it's been my fear, my insecurity. Being trapped by personality. I just, I just can't do that. I'm not wired in that way. Now let's think about what stopped Jesus from bringing us into that beautiful relationship. What stopped the people he used to reach you? Freely we have received. Will we freely give? If you wholeheartedly embrace beautiful relationships, there is no limit to what God can do in and through you as an agent of reconciliation in this dark, broken, and lonely world. As TC touched on, there are Peters in this room. There are Johns in this room. There are Samaritan women in this room who've been brought out of brokenness into a beautiful relationship and are able to share with multitudes who Jesus is and what he's done. I want us to wrap up uh, with a quick prayer. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for your love, your goodness, and your beauty. Thank you for longing for relationship with us, for sending your son to make that possible. Thank you for the relationships that we get to experience in your kingdom, what we get to be exposed to this weekend. Father, it's so good. Help us to allow these, embrace these beautiful relationships in a way that empowers us to leave a beautiful legacy. Father, I pray that you would bring many, many more Samaritan woman, lost, hurting, broken people into relationship with you. That, Father, we don't just be inspired and encouraged in our time here, uh, Father, but we be transformed. That we go back differently in our relationships with one another so that we can make a difference in the communities you've placed us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.